Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Hi everybody, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but I've had to turn off the fan to record this. So I've wrapped an ice pack, (laughs) a therapeutic ice pack from my slipped discs last year um, around my body. And it is the hottest day in the history of the universe. And last night for dinner, I had a curry because (laughs) I had bought a, um, one of those posh ready-made curries and it was about to go off and it was nine quid. And I thought, no, I can't be throwing that away. I'm going to have to sit and suffer with my ice pack, my massive period, and um, and my curry in front of the telly. And also, I am trying to relax and read a book in front of a fan last night to try and get away from sweating and, and, and sort of hate watching Love Island. And I realised that I read a book two weeks ago called I Am Pilgrim, which was so exciting, listeners. It was so exciting. It was a fucking thriller, which is not my genre. Oh my God, it's ruined me. Everything else I pick up feels pointless. I'm like, I don't want to read more, uh, you know, lady stuff and emotional (laughs) stuff and historical stuff, which is all I have ever read in my life. I want more like some fucking undercover MI6 lunatic in Bodrum, you know, with with a, you're turning a toothpick into a deadly weapon. Anyway, how are you, Em? I mean, I'm absolutely fine, Annabelle. I also read the book and I was literally about 50 pages behind you the whole time and we kept going, <gasps> anyway, it was a very stressful experience. I, I Wasn't it brilliant got, though? It was so brilliant. I Am Pilgrim by someone called Terry. Terry, <laughs> yes, by someone called Terry. Didn't he write, didn't, didn't he write Dead Calm? I think he wrote Dead Calm and we looked him up and he wrote something else, not The Wire, but something else equally kind of big sensational, and sensational yeah. and kind of, no, it wasn't The Wire. Anyway, I'm absolutely fine, but I've got a spider bite, so I, I feel like I'm going to die. There's something disturbing about a spider bite, isn't there? The idea that it, it crept up and it bit you and you never knew it was there. No, it's- exactly. And, it's, and, and the only reason I think it's a spider bite is because it's got a ring around it. And I looked up, I literally Googled Dr. Google. What has a ring, bites with a ring around it? And they were like, spider bites. Anyway, um, but the reason I'm talking about my spider bite is actually to deflect from my real, I'm absolutely fine, which is my shoe shame, Annabelle. Oh, Um, dear. I don't know if you should share this. (laughs) Because, so normally I run all my purchase decisions through Annabelle because I think of everything I wear, including at a brilliant party we went to the other day. And I was like, yes, no. She was like, no, try again, try harder. And um, anyway, I snuck off and bought some shoes in H&M for a fiver with my daughter 
it was a clearly a catastrophic error. Anyway, um, unfortunately... I would never have known, would I? <laughs> you never would have known, apart from you came round to our house um, yesterday to record um, another podcast. And, uh, and you were like, these are your worst yet. You said it quite triumphantly, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy your terrible shoes, but this is an all-time high slash low. <laughs> Anyway, and so, you knew it because um, you were keeping them from me. Your shoe shame. I was shame. keeping them from you. I was like, I said to you this morning, you would never have seen them if it hadn't been for the fact that I, you had to come over and that they were nestling underneath the table. Anyway, so I have disgusting shoes. <laughs> I have disgusting taste in shoes. Anyway, there we go. But I'm fine. Anyway, listen, I love my job. Okay, but and maybe you love your job, or maybe you spend an alarming amount of time crying in the loo working in the evenings to meet deadlines, feeling underappreciated and trapped, hoping meditation, ha, will sort it all out. And if you're constantly teetering on the brink or staring into the overwhelm, well, we have a book for you. Anarchy Somerville is an author and journalist, podcaster and woman familiar with the edge. And she ditched her toxic work environment and set about finding that elusive life-work balance. Notice that we put life before work here. Anyway, she has written a book, The Big Quit, to help you do the same. So, Anarchy, how are you? I'm absolutely fine, but I've got a kind of pool of wet sweat, which is collecting in the bottom of my... I suppose I can only describe them as kind of anti-chafe pants. So they're kind of, they're kind of, I had to make this really complex decision process this morning because I was kind of like, I need the anti-chafe, but I also know that these are very hot, you know, and obviously we're on the hottest, hottest day of the entire universe. Um, So at the moment I've got a kind of pool and I can only describe it as a pool of kind of talcum powder mixed with sweat because I've also rediscovered the rebranded talcum powder that's quite safe um, and I poured that into my into my sort of anti-chafe underpants. So have you, have you created almost a paste? Well it was interesting, I saw someone yesterday <laughs> on Instagram had shared the fact that they were creating a kind of batter in their, <laughs> yes. kind, of, in their kind of nether regions and that's kind of how I feel bottom at the moment. Batter. Bottom, bottom batter. batter. There's a woman on TikTok who accidentally <laughs> confused the talc with the flour and made kind of bottom yes. cake is yes. what she called it <laughs> yes but that's the thing that now i think because conventional talcum powder wasn't seen as being safe the thing that i've actually got now is maize powder so i think it's been rebranded <laughs> and i've kind of poured it down and so now i've got this kind of congealed pancake sort of sitting down <laughs> around my bum area so mm-hmm. but i just think i don't know what do you do on a hot day what do you sort of prioritize the chafing or the sweating i think um, you have to prioritize the chafing because well, one is I've undignified, which we're frankly at this point our lives completely used to, and the other is actually painful. Yes, you're right, you're right. The other kind of causes a rash, doesn't it? The kind of chafing. So well, you've uh, just got yeah. time for a rash for that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But I'm just worried that when I stand up, it will have just gone hard, and so I'll just have like plaster of Paris underpants. You, know? <laughs> you might have to like chip it off. You might have a kind of like exactly like a sort of perfect mould. Yes, exactly. Maybe I can do that. Maybe it will have created Send a bum mould. Send us a picture exactly. and we'll share do it on Instagram. I, I bet there's a corner of the internet where you could make an absolute fucking fortune for selling your bum moulds. Plaster of Paris bum yes. mould of middle-aged yes, women. Yes, just your sweaty anti-chafe knickers. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I'm going to Google it when I, when I hang up because there to must be, be some positive. Exactly, yes. So, Anarchy, what I want to ask you is um, when things got really bad for you at work and with your work-life, work-life, work-work, work, non-balance, imbalance, how bad was it and, and, and why? How did that come about? 
Well, it was an interesting one because I worked in market research for about 18 years. And what I didn't recognise was the fact that it was it was bad on and off for many, many years. But I kind of dismissed all the symptoms. So I had recurring kind of headaches. Um, I was kind of taking quite a lot of painkillers. I was I was drinking, but it was kind of, I'm talking about the kind of slug and lettuce days when it was quite normal to go and have, I don't know, six pints after work on a Friday or, you know, that was that was kind <laughs> of the norm. On a Friday and yeah. then have sex with yeah. the IT guy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Can um, I tell then, you that story did fucking start in the slug and lettuce? My is that where shame. you got drunk before you had sex with the IT guy? Yeah. The slug <laughs> and lettuce we used to call it. A long time ago. <laughs> By the way, if anybody is listening. God, I'm glad that you also remember the slug and lettuce. And then it kind of it <laughs> I was went. Gonna say, I'm glad you remember the IT guy. Well, I'm glad you remember the IT guy. <laughs> it got gradually worse. And I kind of realised that I was sort of experiencing overwhelm almost every day, like on a daily basis. So. Um, the the hours were very long. So I think similarly to kind of working in, in the media, actually, you were kind of expected to do a full day of work and then do evening groups and to travel quite a lot. Um, I then sort of, I suppose, several times explored other options. But because I'm the breadwinner in our kind of couple, I always need to be the main earner. So I don't really have that kind of, I can't really go off. I kept hearing about people doing side hustles and I was like, that's all well and good, but I can't afford to do a side hustle. I need to just keep my nose to the sort of grindstone. So I did, I suppose it came up to when I came back off maternity leave and I came back, there'd been a restructure. I just started to feel sort of angry every day. You know, I was kind of, you know, overreacting to things. I felt like actually I hated, I sort of dreaded. I had that Sunday night dread that we get when we really don't enjoy our job. And uh, I was really catastrophizing. So, you know, crying a lot in the toilet, crying in the lift, trying to find excuses to sort of phone in sick, all of those kind of symptoms, really. And I think as women, we often think that we just sort of live with that. And I think our relationship with work is often just certainly my generation was kind of like work isn't to be enjoyed. Work is just it is work. You go there and you put in your eight hours or your 12 hours and then you leave, you know, and then when you retire, you finally get this kind of glorious, you know, cruise land kind of lifestyle where you can wear Hawaiian shirts and smoke cigars and all of that (laughs) stuff. And I hadn't really realised that that, of course, that doesn't exist anymore. So I think gradually I started to move towards more of the stuff that I wanted to do and I suppose that was more of the writing more of the kind of podcasting and even up to the current day I still work so I still have a regular job and I'm kind of keen to stress that because I think too many women kind of listen to to work advice and think oh I wish I could do that but the financial constraints are such that they can't actually hearing you say that makes me want to say that Emily and I both also have jobs yes Exactly. Which and I think those so. people who engage with us over this or on Instagram wouldn't wouldn't perhaps know. And I think that can be um, a danger of what you see online, can't it? That you it's think that, you, that these women are living these dream lives, just having a laugh with fabulous people like you and recording with ice packs up there, you know, bummed. <laughs> I know. I think it's. I think it's a really good message to get out there. And also, I mean, part of what I sort of cover in the in the book is not to be too idealistic in the pursuit of the perfect job so Mm. I think a lot of us sort of it's almost like how we believe about the perfect man Mm. it's kind of like at some point I will find this perfect job where all the colleagues are amazing the workplace is is idyllic you know the kind of flexibility is right the kind of type of work I'm doing is going to be really great and stimulating 
And I don't think I've ever really discovered that. All I've discovered is slightly better kind of jobs. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the role I have at the moment, I absolutely love. But also, I suppose jobs aren't meant to make you happy all the time, just as in life isn't meant to make you happy all the time. So again, we're constantly sold these fraudulent lies, like, you know, the happiness myth and, 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 the, and the, you know, the perma happiness in job myth. Absolutely. And it was funny before I sort of this morning I woke up and I was sort of thinking about what were the role models that I had growing up when it came to work. And I realised that I'd based most of my career expectations around Dallas and Dynasty. <laughs> so essentially, I really believed that you were either going to be someone like Joan Collins and be a total bitch, you know, and but also have all the payoff of being able to get in the hot tub with Dex and, you know, have sexy times. Um, or you were going to be somebody really wimpish and not particularly respected like like Crystal, you know, who was a bit of a wimp, and obviously she was in a different genre. There was kind of this whole mix-up between kind of like, do I want to be that bitch? And I was kind of like, no, do you know what? I've got to the top of the ladder and I haven't got the payoff. I haven't got the hot tub. I haven't got the kind of sexy music. I'm just very stressed and I'm not enjoying myself because I should say that by the time I'd worked for 18 years, I had got to managing partner level. So I was kind of like supposed to be all I suppose have all the outward trappings of success you know Mm. people kind of respected me I was earning lots of money I was spending inordinate amounts of money on clothes which you know that was kind of the only way I could kind of dig my way out of my sort of depression that I was having around work so you were shopping your feelings basically shopping my feelings which I think a lot of women do and I think certainly if you're a child of the kind of 80s we were kind of schooled in doing that you know yeah that awful stupid phrase retail therapy Yes, exactly. Which actually is not a healthy thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's really not. And it's actually hard that when you've grown up with that culture and, you know, it's something I'm trying to educate my own kids about. It's like, actually, it doesn't make you happy. You know, if you're continually on this kind of up and down of kind of buying stuff, essentially kind of buying stuff, hoping that the buying stuff will make you feel better and then realising it doesn't deliver. Mm. And then you're sort of caught. And I, I saw a lot of my colleagues were really caught in this very sort of consumeristic kind of culture where... I think when you get into earning a bit more money, your kids start going to certain schools, they have certain holidays, you start... One of my colleagues used to buy kind of custom-made trainers that were made by Eskimos or something. I mean, it was just just bonkers. It was kind of ridiculous. And yet, when I looked around, I often thought that some some of these people were very, very deeply unhappy, Mm. Um, you know. Um, And so you started, uh, after a maternity leave, was it, just doing a little bit more of what you fancied? Yes. I mean, I should say that I was entirely lucky in that the the company called people up to take voluntary redundancy. And so that actually gave me the perfect opportunity to leave that job and to start almost immediately. Actually, I started writing um, and I did. I sort of started writing a fiction book, but I had some time then because I obviously had a bit of cash because I got some got a settlement for taking redundancy. And actually, all I did was instead of looking for the perfect job, I just started doing more of the things I liked whilst Mm. I was still doing market research jobs as a freelancer. So it was almost kind of like doing a bit of work that um, I loved and a bit of work that I loved a bit less, but it was keeping us financially kind of steady. One of the things I really liked in your book was um, when you're trying to work out what you want to do next, the idea of looking at your work history and you, you draw a line on a piece of, piece of paper, then branches coming out, identifying the highs and lows of your work life. So basically looking at what aspects of work that you've done were particularly rewarding, times when you've really enjoyed work, where you were, what you were doing, who you were doing it with, and then look at the low times and what did they all have in common? 
Mm. Um, and that seems like quite a quite a good exercise because you you know because a job is not doing one thing generally, is it? No, and I think that's the thing is that you almost have to as you get older prioritize what's important to you and as I sort of mentioned I don't feel like you can have everything I think that's kind of unrealistic and actually I I think as, as you touched on you nobody has everything when it comes to relationships with fa- you know family with homes everything so I almost think you sort of get a, a list of the things that almost you must have you know the stuff and, and it might be something really basic like I want to have a short commute mm. you know I want to work with people that are decent and I can get on with you know I, I want to have um, some projects that I work on that I enjoy. I may. I liked equally... on. Um, I liked on your list that you that you put in the book. No enforced <laughs> socialising. No, no enforced socialising. Yes, of any I mean, kind. No enforced socialising of any kind. And when I think back to jobs that I've had, and I've made sensational friendships in a few of them. Emily is one of them, and a few other people who are, you know, my best friends are very valuable to me. Even then, I didn't like the worky party stuff. Ugh. Yeah. You know, I'd rather see them on our own time, our own agenda. It was always awful. Yes. And I think that's kind of, it's funny, isn't it? I suppose maybe it's different when you're younger, because I think I probably enjoyed it more when I was in my 20s. Um, you know, I quite liked going to the Slug and Lettuce and having six pints. And, you know, that that helped, that certainly helped me keep going. But we also used to do these things where we all went together as, as a company to another location. And these were quite exotic places. So we might go somewhere like San Francisco as an entire company. And those, when I look back on it, I was exhausted because there was just this this whole idea that you had to socialise with people that you didn't know particularly well um, for long extended periods of time. I think now what's happened post-COVID, which is funny, is that it's actually sharpened our vision in terms of what we want from social stuff. So it's like in the same way that you might do with your job, you really do think like, is it people that I like? Is it going to be fun? Is it close to home? Can I sit down? <laughs> is the music too loud? And if, if any of those things don't kind of feel right, you're kind of like, it's not worth the bother and that sounds awful but but now I'm I'm much better and I've written a bit about setting boundaries which I know is a very popular term now but I do genuinely I think I heard Marianne Keyes saying in a podcast that one of her happiest moments is when a friend cancels a social arrangement at about 4 p.m. So that you're almost like present yes it's exactly so she knows that then she can just slob out on the sofa and watch Netflix the most Um, tense text to send is are we still on for tonight? I know. And you're kind of bracing yourself going, please, please, somebody say that it's not going ahead. I do, I, I do love socialising, but certainly the work socialising comes much further down on the list now. I know all those funny bells and whistles. I mean, you wrote women in our sort of 40s and 50s. We knew work before it became beanbags and brainstorms and blue sky thinking and drinks on a Friday night and away days and chai lattes and posh breakfast. We knew work when, you know, it was just work and there were, you know, there were downsides that when some bloke stuck his hand up your skirt when you're asking for a pay rise but there were also pluses to that Mm. I think there was and I think there's also the fact that nowadays I find like the technology is so overwhelming you know it's kind of in the days when I was first starting out in the office which must have been the same for you as well was it was a fax machine so you kind of (laughs) sent a fax machine and then you you sent a message and you then waited maybe a day or maybe two (laughs) days for something to come back again but it meant that the timelines on things were much slower and now I think because our expectations are is that people are kind of replying within two seconds that we've set this pace for work which can feel quite debilitating for a lot of people so I think one of the things I'm a big kind of um, fan of is 
really logging out and working for a while, like having dedicated periods of time where you're not on Slack and you're not on email and you're actually doing your work. Because I found that certainly as I've sort of gone back into different agencies and environments, the pace is brutal. You know, it really is. It's kind of like trying to play the piano and make spaghetti at the same time Mm. every day. It's kind of, you're spending a lot of time replying to messages whilst at the same time trying to do the things that the messages are about. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, I know, I like what you said about flow state, which is, I think, a buzz phrase that we're going to hear so, so much more about in all aspects of our lives. But with work, you know, to actually create a kind of uh, a sort of an optimum work environment for a set period of time in order to get what you want done. And that that is actually much more satisfying than, as you said, trying to kind of, you know, make the make the pasta and type the concerto or whatever, you know, and 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 presumably everybody has a different flow state. You know, I would say don't try and answer the emails while you're trying to get something done. But other people, I suppose, would, you know, are happy to keep five plates in the air and then just, you know, stop completely for a while. I don't know. I'm sure there are myriad different ways Mm. to go with our myriad different personalities. And I do wonder a little bit about, because we're not digital natives, you know, we didn't grow up with this technology. We grew up with different kind of work environments. And certainly when I talk to other women who have been out of the workplace for quite a while, they're like, oh, I don't think I could cope with the kind of the technology aspect. And, you know, I do write about that as well, because I think that's a big barrier because people are like, oh, they're using all these different kind of platforms. And how do I use those? And I feel like everything's changed. And I'm kind of like really on the back foot. Um, And one of the things I've sort of advised is that you almost find a younger mentor, (laughs) you know, whatever you want to call it. um, And you kind of can offer them some advice in terms of because I think one of the things you get with experience is that you realise that no, no one dies when things at work go wrong. It's just a crummy day at work. And actually, people can have a cup of tea and they can recover from it. I think when you first enter work, you're kind of like, oh, my God, this is the end of the world. Somebody's just sent a really shitty email and we're all going to die. And actually, as an older kind of employee I feel like I can sort of go listen just chill out this is fine let's not add kind of kerosene onto the fire let's just breathe let's send a nice reply back let's manage this but whilst we're at it can you show me how to use this platform because I've got no bloody clue what's (laughs) going on but you're absolutely right because I think Gen Xers who um who straddle analog and digital one thing that we did know how to do was relationships Mm. Obviously, I don't mean romantic relationships. (laughs) In my case, I mean professional relationships. You know, we knew how to deal with people. And I think maybe that's where we can offer some real wisdom. Yeah, and it, I think it's also just the benefit of you've you've done it lots of times. I mean, we've mm. all had really shit days at work. Um, and I was guilty of it as well. I mean, I used to... 
you know, when I was in my old job, I really would kind of wake up in the morning and I'd feel like I was dying at the thought of the day ahead. You know, Mm. I'd be unable to sort of gain any sense of perspective. And I feel like now, in order to succeed at work, a big part of it is managing your kind of mental health. And I know that's a massive buzzword and self-care, everyone's talking about self-care. But it, it does really matter because at the end of the day, if you're going to sort of not look after yourself, and it's the same with parenting, it's sort of the same with everything, you will just get burnt out and you will just end up in in one of the books I wrote I kind of have a character who just loses the plot and I used to fantasize a lot about that at work at kind of standing on a table suddenly becoming a rap singer stripping off you know telling everyone I hated them you know (laughs) chucking crisps at them whatever finally sort of getting my moment to to give individual emails to every single person to say how much I hated them and why, you know, in bullet points. Um, And I always fantasise about that. And you will get pushed to that point unless you sort of slow it down a bit and look after yourself. And I always remember that, unfortunately, in most cases, your work won't do that for you. You know, your work really doesn't give a shit. Um, I mean, I feel at the moment I'm in a, a company where they do care about that kind of thing. But I still feel there's a lot of twaddle in that kind yeah. of space around kind of we, we care about our employees. But really, if you look on a practical basis, there's very little being done to take care of them in terms of their mental health. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Emily, you had that experience, didn't you, of running yourself completely into a brick wall? Yeah, and actually, so I really identified with one of your quotes, actually, from a fellow writer called Flick Taylor, who said that she basically, she was talking about burnout, and she was saying she just couldn't believe she was burning out, and therefore she tried to will her burnout not to happen by increasing her workload. And I think in my experience... When Leaning I was in, early, basically. Yes, exactly. And I think, um, you know, when I was sort of hearing voices and crying in the loo and totally losing my shit... I just couldn't believe that I couldn't cope. And that made me think I've got to try harder. But of course, that is the opposite of what you've got to do. You've got to lean out. And I do think I do think it's really hard for, for women. And I do think it's really hard the way that the work structures are set up, even the new ones that are all the beanbags and the chai lattes and whatever. They're still set up with this kind of work structure that means, you know, either either that you have to be logged on at a certain for certain periods of time or whatever and or you have to show up or whatever it is and and it makes it I think it makes it it's very very hard I think to people who are juggling more than just you know the Mm. the spreadsheets often women are quite anxious at work but the thing is that we can't come to work as a clean slate we come to work and we bring all of the shit that we're kind of trying to navigate at the same time so we kind of bring all of the stuff we need to organize for our kids for our pets for our home for our friendships our relationships and our then we do parents, our work you know, our aging parents like, yeah exactly yeah. like you know i think that's that's a whole lot of baggage because I feel like those those are significant barriers, you know, mm. sort of what happens to you when you take maternity leave. You know, when I went away, I came back and basically the company had restructured and I'd been demoted. So I was kind of like now um, one rung down the ladder. So I'd effectively been punished for going on maternity leave. And, that's and that is common. not the exception. That no, he, that's no. very... That yes. I hear about this all the time. And you're still, they're, you, know, they're, they're, you know, they're very nice. They don't actually get rid of you. You still have a job. But it, it, it can be a job with, 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 with nothing to do, incredibly demoralising, directionless, and, and it can induce you know, proper sort of identity crises. Yes, and that's a big part, I think, of... If anyone reads the book, what I'd love them to take out is so much of work is about confidence and trying to build that confidence within yourself. And I think if we go back to sort of almost thinking about 
when are the times in your life that you felt that I hate the word nailing it? In fact, I've I've said sort of fuck nailing it because yeah, I think I it sort that. of it kind of really encourages you to get working very very hard in this kind of frenetic way. But I think look back on your career and think when were the times when I felt happy and like I was producing good work and kind of try and if you are like coming back off maternity leave, try and channel some of that. I don't mean it in a kind of hokey cokey way, but I just mean think about what were the kind of things that I was doing right at that point. Because I think as women as well, we always try and be too perfect. And we're always thinking Mm. like, I am not happy unless I achieve 100% success. And you have a review and someone says, well, this was brilliant, but you fucked that up a bit, you know. And the only bit that you tend to think about is that one detail. Whereas Mm. I'm being very, I'm sort of generalizing with men and women. But in my experience, having delivered a lot of reviews myself, was that men tended to not listen to that criticism. They just kind of batted it away and only focused on the positive parts of the of what they'd done to the point where sometimes it meant that you were having to keep repeating <laughs> you know the things that had keep gone saying, horribly no, no, wrong that was properly that was bad. really 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 <laughs> fucked up whereas too often I think women kind of go away and they may be thinking when they're coming back off leave well I've really fucked all these things up and I'm no good. I can't do technology. I don't understand what's going on. Everything's changed. Everyone's younger than me. You know, what's going on? Try, if you can, to use whatever techniques you can to remember about the great work that you've done in the past because you have. You know, there are lots of examples where you've presented or you've networked really well or, you know, you've managed to write a really great piece of content or, you know, and try and think about those. And if you if you can, one of, one of the people I spoke to actually said, keep a list instead of focusing because your brain will always have that negative kind of bias try and write down all of the kind of celebratory things that you've done you know I met this person they loved me somebody complimented me on my work you know and whenever you're feeling a bit shit and you're feeling like actually I can go I'm going into that negative brain world that kind of chatter bring those up again because I think we do have a bit more of a battle on our hands in terms of staying confident. And actually confidence then leads to being able to create a more kind of successful work environment, you know. There's a really good quote um, from Alice Ollins, who I, I love from the Step Up Club. And she's like, bring your whole self to the workspace as well. I think that that's one of the things that we've done too much wrong, where we've thought... You I know, think that historically we thought that we had to, um, you know... Put, put on our power, our fake, brittle power selves mm. work, and then on the way home, remove our metaphorical or literal shoulder pads, then become all soft and, you know. But actually, we've got so many superpowers around all our vulnerabilities and all our confusions and all the things that we juggle. If you take those in, then you, and, you, and you bring emotion into the boardroom, then you've got something really interesting happen, which statistics obviously show in terms of profit when you've got more women and working mothers working for Yes, absolutely. A fucking men. And I think that I love that kind of analogy of of kind of showing up as your full self, because I think, you know, we are messy, we are imperfect, and so are men as well, you know, and we're doing an incredible amount. Um, And I think there was a time and I think that comes a little bit with the role models that we probably had in films and on TV growing up where we were taught to kind of pretend almost that we didn't have families or we didn't have home lives you know um, and almost like assume a lot of masculine traits you know there's even cases of women who have lowered their voices because there's been studies that have shown that men don't listen to high-pitched voices in meetings you know because they they're so fucking stupid and limited so, I mean honestly <laughs> that's practically a disability they can't hear high pitches well it's kind of this idea of like you know is it a bird singing is a bird got in the room all I can hear is this kind of twitter twitter noise um and again I don't want to be sexist to generalize and say that's all men but I think you know 
it is true that, you know, we need to, unfortunately, and I still think this is the case, we have to sort of think a little bit more mindfully about our communication style a little bit in certain environments. Um, I want to move to a world where we can totally be ourselves, but I'll also acknowledge that I do tailor some of myself depending where I am. And I think when I first started work, I, I don't know whether you did this, I, I made a lot of boo-boos by, I'm a very open book, so I would walk into a meeting and say that I'd wet myself, or, you know, I'd, I'd walk into a meeting and say that I really fancied the guy who was working on reception, and then realise it was, you know, it was the boss's son, or, you know, some sort of bullshit like that. And now I realise that I have to sort of, I do have to tame that wilder part of myself um, until I'm around people that I can kind of trust, mm. and then I, I might add in a couple of provocative kind of, statements but uh, yeah. yeah if you think about women that you've really admired and loved and been inspired by in the workspace they have not been the robots no but my god when we started work you know 20 years ago or whatever there were some monstrous female bosses oh my lord i mean um, you know I mean, wow yes but I, I now i try and think about um the pressure that they were under and certainly yes. the, the the women that i was working for um in my company they they each had three children and they were under incredible pressure because really even in those days there was no talk about flexi working or you know you were just and the and the kind of schedules they had you know they were kind of flying all over the place and it and no wonder they were fucking grumpy because i mm. would be you know i would it was I feel like now, hopefully, we're in a point where we can negotiate a bit more about the work culture that we want. But back then, you just had to show up. You had to put your blazer on and you had to fight back the tears. And basically, I think all of the discussion was around manning up, wasn't it? It was like, yeah. be, be a man, you know. Um, but if you are looking for new work, whether it's um, flexi, full-time or, you know, freelance, I think it's really worth having a really, you know, casting your gimlet eye over who you're going to be working for, just as you would see who the neighbours were going to be if you're buying a house. I know, but it's so difficult, Annabelle. It's so hard, because I was thinking that I've... Um... I, over COVID, I was being doing interviews over Zoom. So um, I remember going to work for somebody um, and I'd never actually met them in the flesh. So I was purely trying to read what kind of boss they were going to be by their sort of facial expressions. Anyway, to cut a long story short, it was an absolute bloody nightmare. It was awful. It was the worst experience I've ever had. And that almost, I mean, sort of that kind of really overbearing micromanaging psychologically just damages you. And it meant that actually from that point, it took me about six months to recover my confidence. Um, mm. There was this funny little thing where I would be in a presentation, writing a presentation, and they would be amending the presentation whilst I was writing it. So oh it's God. almost like if you imagine writing an article and while you're writing it, somebody is copy editing it for you so you're kind of trying desperately to get back on top with this thing and your brain is just going you've really fucked this up that's another mistake there's another mm. mistake look mm. here's another thing also i can't type i literally can't type when someone's watching it's like yes. a, it's like it becomes a i get a third hand do you know what i mean but not in a good way but work you know can't be perfect but it also doesn't have to be everything Yes. You know, we're all, it's another thing that we're sold. A phrase that I think is really crippling is, do you find something you're passionate about? Oh, I that hate that. That is a really big ask. What if yeah. I just find something you're quite good at, that, you know, <laughs> gives you a bit of joy, mm. you have a bit of a laugh, you can be productive, earns, you know, earns you some money, and there'll be pockets of it you're passionate about, mm. sure. But, but you know, that, that, that's, that's just, that's just you're not so possible. You're so right. What did that was... tennis player say, Em? That tennis oh. player last week. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with him. Nick Kyrgios, who 
when he was in the semi, the final of Wimbledon, and uh, during the interview after he'd lost against Novak Djokovic, he Sue Barker says, "So you know, this was your first Grand Slam final. Um, has it whetted your appetite for kind of you know the next bit?" And he was like, "No fucking way. I'm exhausted. Mm. <laughs> We've just played too much tennis." Yeah. <laughs> and it was so brilliant to hear him go not sort of like an automaton to go kind of, yes, I'm now focused on the future. He's like, I'm tired, guys. I am tired. And I just, I love him. I love love that because I feel like that's the thing when I read profiles of successful people that is often missing. You know, there's often this kind of description of someone's routine, which is kind of like they get up at four, they do Pilates, they do a conference call, you know, they make 17 packed lunches, you know, they go for another run and do some more Pilates and hire some people. And it's only 11 o'clock in the morning (laughs) and nobody actually talks about how tiring it is or even what what I think is quite refreshing is to say listen in order to get where I've got I've had to make some massive sacrifices along the way I don't have a relationship maybe I wanted to have kids but I didn't have kids you know I I live on my own and I don't have a social life but I have this has all come because I've prioritized my career at all points you know and I've, I've achieved success to the outside world because I think what's most damaging is when particularly women believe that there is this superwoman that exists who has it all. And I haven't met any, and I've met a lot of very successful women, you know, women who, um, you know, from the outside, you think, fucking hell, they do have it all. But they don't, there's always something. And it is it is exhausting, which I think is another interesting thing to think is at this moment in time, maybe post-COVID, your attitude to work is going to be, I'm limping along, I'm limping along. Um, and then maybe next year is going to be about reaching out and achieving a bit more but at the moment I'm just limping to the end of the year and in one piece you know so don't have this idea that you're accelerating at all times because I sort of feel for me like I have other aspects of my of my life that are important to me I really want to regenerate my friendships because I feel like I haven't seen friends enough um, and I'm losing friends because I'm not putting any effort into that and there's loads of other stuff. I want to go and do some sort of exercise that is kind of fulfilling. Maybe go and do outdoor swimming because I keep seeing everybody doing that. Um, so there's other things that I want to do. So it's like, I think that's what we keep coming back to. It's not the only thing. Don't get such a narrow perspective on yes, life. Yes, if there comes a time at some point, imagine a time where we were all a little bit less tired, we wouldn't necessarily have to use that extra bit of energy for work. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here's to a time when we're all less tired. Well, if that time, yeah, exactly, if that time ever comes, but yeah, you know, take it easy on yourself and remind yourself of what you've done well. Um, and the biggest lesson I've learned is, you know, really tell that negative voice to fuck off. Because mm. I think, especially when we get into perimenopause, for me at the moment, I'm definitely in perimenopause and the negative voice is very, very loud. Um, it's telling me I'm fat and disgusting and sweaty and unsuccessful and I haven't got a nice house. And it's telling me that my kids are going to be failures and my relationship is shit. It's telling me everything. And I'm having to choose very much to drown it out with some other messages. And mm. I do very much see that as just kind of almost personifying it as a kind of an evil twin and saying, just fuck off out of it. You're not useful to me, you know, today. Um, yes, or, or I mean, there, is, there, there is a there is a um, a time to be quite fierce um, with um, with your inner arsehole and go. This is not appropriate. Yes. Fuck you. Yes, rather go away. than you know you know doing being very kind and gentle and drawing diagrams. Yes, yes exactly. um, The big quit: how to ditch the job you hate and find work you love by the sensational Anarchy Somerville is out in August. 
Yes, August the 18th. August the 18th. And, um, and, and we highly recommend it. Anagi, please come back and see us soon. Yes. And we can talk more about bottom batter. Yes, I'll have, to, I'll have to update you on my on my plaster cast bottom sculpture, which I'm now going to tend to. Yes, please do. That Thank is a cliffhanger. You. Thanks okay. so much. Bye. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of the Midalt. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.